Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Secret Birds HQ podcast. And this is podcast episode 40. And today I'm joined by Miss Stephanie Zhu. And Stephanie is the executive director of Phoenix Risen. She is also the founder of the China Africa Tech Initiative. She is the outgoing curator of Global Shapers Shanghai Hub. And she's involved with many other exceptional platforms, which she'll tell you about. Stephanie spends some of her time, I think it says here, half of her time in Nairobi, a quarter of her time in Cape Town, and another quarter of her time in Shanghai. She is into entrepreneurship. She's obsessed with making things happen. She's a brand builder, an aggressive project manager, and a passionate network architect. Stephanie, welcome. Thank you so much. It's a pleasure to be on the show. Thank you for joining us. And today, Stephanie is going to speak to us about building impactful communities. So Stephanie, before we get into the topic, I just read so much about you and I feel like I didn't do, do you much justice. So please <laughs> tell us a little bit about all of your projects, what you're involved with, who you are, and, and sort of where you, how you got to where you are now. Yeah, great. Thank you so much. Um, so I think, you know, out of all of the, the things that I do and in relation to the, to the topic, being the executive director of Phoenix Risen is probably the most influential. And Phoenix Risen is a platform that brings men and women together to combat sexual violation. Um, it's supported by the World Economic Forum and has a number of different connections to the, the forum, which help us you know, extend our reach um, and, and increase our impact. I, I think this is a really important uh, topic. Obviously, we've seen the Me Too's, we've seen all the court cases in the past year, but then the question we always ask is, what after Me Too, right? Uh, Me Too is a great rhetorical movement, um, you know, in dialogue and in, in communication, but then what are the substantial changes we're making in our workplaces, in our homes, in our societies afterwards? And and uh, Phoenix Person seeks to do that. Uh, we yeah. do it through what we call uh, our cornerstone is the empathy workshop. So it's a design thinking focused, um, you know, hour long engagement where we bring lots of different people from different backgrounds to come together and learn more about each other and give a structured environment, a safe place where they can share stories and come up with solutions. Uh, as in, you know, that was so successful, basically, we've extended it to doing corporate trainings as well. Okay. Um, and so to date, we were founded in October 2016, but to date we've done uh, over 40 workshops in 10 countries, 15 cities globally. Uh, and we basically, you know, we have five more in Kenya coming up. We're doing uh, one in Beijing next week. You know, we have these wonderful pockets of people who run these workshops uh, and help build our communities all over the world. Fantastic. Sounds brilliant. So tell us a little bit about um, the China Africa Tech Initiative. What is that exactly? Yeah. Um, so the China Africa Tech Initiative. So I'm, I'm basically Chinese American, born in the U.S., grew up in China, uh, went to school back in the U.S. and then moved back to China again. So it was, it was a lot of bobbing back and forth. Uh, sure. Most recently, I was in China for six years, um, and I did everything from running my own e-commerce business and my own agency to uh, working for SAP, helping bring them, helping them bring their flagship SME product into China mm -hmm. uh, and then I did a bunch of consulting as well working for big China SOEs, China Telecom, Ping and those kinds of companies mm -hmm. um, and then I was kind of you know I, I'd been in, I felt like I'd been in China long enough I'd been a good daughter and a good granddaughter enough <laughs> yeah. and I'm gonna up and move right uh, where should I go and and I came and I did this you know three-week trip through Nigeria and Kenya and South Africa and I and I fell in love mm. uh, and I at first I wasn't sure where I was going to go so I was kind of 
I, I was actually doing a consulting gig between Johannesburg and Shanghai. Mm-hmm. Um, unfortunately, getting visas in South Africa is a big pain in the butt. So, mm. uh, you know, I, I wasn't willing to wait so long. So I said, you know, I'll just go to, I'm going to go to Kenya. Okay. Um, and then, you know, one of the reasons I'd always had my eyes set on Africa is because, you know, you hear the statistics, China invests in $188 billion worth of trade. There's over 100,000 companies, Chinese companies um, doing business in Africa yeah. uh, on a much more, you know, real level, walking down the streets uh, in Kenya, you see the construction sites with only Chinese on them. Mm-hmm. Uh, you, mean, you know, you can tell how vibrant the Chinese community is mm-hmm. in Kenya simply by the quality of how good the Chinese food is. Like, right. I can get hot pot, I can get Sichuan, I can get Shanghainese food, Taiwanese food, everything. Mm-hmm. You, know, you, you know, you yeah, know when yeah. the food here is good. Right. Um, and so, and, and it's, it's all, it's predominantly 188 billion. It's very high level investment. Um, It's the China Africa development fund um, or it's through various government initiatives. Um, There's very little peer to peer uh, collaboration. Um, And so Mm -hmm. because of that, you'll see very few, you'll see a lot of company people here, particularly in, in, in particular company men um, who've been sent over by their big construction or manufacturing or you know whatever right. firms mm-hmm. and they'll be here for one to two years they're not here to create ties they're not here to to it's settle down or kind of doing a job yeah mm. yeah yeah yeah. they're it's very odd they're they're very much blue collar expats mm. uh, which is very rare i actually think in other places but very common chinese to, to yeah. africa Mm. Um, and at the same time, you know, as I started making Kenyan friends and South African friends, and I was traveling into you know, Ethiopia and Rwanda and, and Ghana and other places, people said, wow, I've never met a Chinese person like you. Um, I would love to do business with China. How do I do that? Where mm. do I start? Mm-hmm. And, and because my background is in tech, uh, I was meeting so many young tech entrepreneurs with so much potential who could really benefit off of collaborating either in technology or mentorship with, um, with a Chinese company or a Chinese or their Chinese counterpart. Um, but they didn't know where to start. So China Africa Technology was kind of born out of that. And, and just by merit of what I'm doing, I met all these other young Chinese and Africans, you know, Canadians and Nigerians and Zimbabweans um, yeah. who were, who were, who wanted to do something similar to me, but didn't have, or who were already doing something similar to this, but didn't necessarily have a formalized platform. Right. And so that's what China Africa Tech Initiative is to bring, you know, kind of these exemplary people who are already doing this work of, of connecting China and Africa together um, on a more personal level, giving them a platform, um, giving them a little bit more infrastructure. And so, so basically uh, Chinese and African um, companies or entrepreneurs individually come and apply on the platform and we look to match them up with mm-hmm. uh, you know, a counterpart from the other continent. Um, and then if the mentorship and facilitation goes well, then we look for investment for them. Um, in, for a project basis only, so something with uh, very discrete timelines and um, KPIs, and then you know the the whole point is eventually um, I want to bring more Chinese, <coughs> you know, VC and angel money onto the continent. But right. before we can do that, we really need to have you know case studies and and a use case for this uh, success right. stories, and that's where this is kind of building towards. Mm, exciting. And it looks like you're involved with something called BitPesa. Is that you as well? Yeah. Okay. <laughs> so BitPesa is actually my, my full-time job. Okay. Um, and it is, it's one of those companies that I found and I knew immediately I wanted to work for. Um, they are, they represent everything that I want in terms of using technology to increase and support, you know, intra-Africa trade, uh, South-South co- cooperation, mm-hmm. um, really helping African businesses uh, grow and, you know, build out into, um, into 
you know, becoming, a, you know, a force to be reckoned with. Mm-hmm. Um, basically, we help move business payments um, in and out of Africa and around Africa. We use blockchain technology to do it faster, easier, and cheaper. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, the best part is uh, it's our company is very few fintech companies can boast of this. Mm-hmm. We're 50-50 uh, men and women um, oh. were distributed across basically five global offices, three um, in Africa, two in Europe. Um, and out of our five C-levels, three are women. And we're led by a super strong, um, super knowledgeable uh, CEO who's also a woman. So wow. uh, it's, it's oh, an incredible brilliant. company to work for. So what is your role in at BitPay? So what exactly are you doing there? So I'm, I'm head of marketing. Okay. Um, you know, this year we, we've raised about $10 million um, over the last couple of years. And this year is really a year of hyper growth for us in terms of uh, growing month on month, in terms of new countries we're expanding into, um, in terms of launching new products. You know, it's, it's really a wide open playing ground for us. And we really are known as the blockchain company in in Africa, but now more and more so in frontier markets as well. We just acquired a company based out of Spain, so we're looking at more Latin and the Caribbean as well. Yeah. Um, and so okay. all of my my activities in marketing help support those initiatives, help build their customer base, help create communities within that customer base and, and you know grow our brand globally. Nice. So it's an exciting new adventure. Sounds incredible. It it is a challenge. Yeah, it's challenge absolutely. Is good. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. I, I definitely I wouldn't pick a job that I found. You know, I spend eight hours my day at the very least doing that. Exactly. And I wouldn't pick a job if I didn't know like it. that it was mm. going to be difficult and force me to grow. Yeah. And what is La Oige? La Oija? Is that in China? Here La in China? Lacha. Okay, um, I don't know. I haven't started yeah. studying Chinese yet. I need to get around to it. The one I will. <laughs> so, so Lacha is uh, an initiative. It's it's less of a important initiative. Okay. Um, I'll I'll talk a little bit. I think something that's not on my website um mm-hmm. is she loves tech, which I'll talk a little bit about if that's okay. Sure. Of course. Of course. Okay. Great. Yeah. So she loves tech is a global. Uh, women in technology focused pitch competition so in the first year it was uh, in Beijing it's actually founded by Virgie and Ria who are both from Lean in China mm-hmm. um, so three years ago in Beijing there was one pitch competition last year there was they were in seven countries this year they're going to be in 15 so you know really just growing exponentially and I'm the Africa director so I'm focused on we're doing three regionals East Africa West Africa and South Africa. And okay. what's fascinating is we're going to be doing different formats for each regional. So East Africa is going to be set in Nairobi. It's going to be the, the pitch competition, um, like everywhere else in the world. West Africa, because we have less of a physical footprint there, um, we'll just be doing an online uh, version of it. And then uh, in South Africa, we have an amazing partner called We Think Code that will be doing a hackathon with us. Uh, And basically the winner of each regional will be flown to, uh, will be flown to China uh, for a two week boot camp. They'll be meeting investors, they'll be meeting, um, you know, top Chinese companies, HTC, Baidu, all those kinds of companies, uh, and and meeting all of these other incredible uh, entrepreneurs from other countries as well. Um, what what I love is is this is a super inclusive competition. Right. Um, it really brings it's it's not just about women in tech. It's right. you know what we consider women in tech uh, company is quite broad. It's right. if there's at least one male founder or uh, you know C level. Mm-hmm. Um, if the company has at least fifty percent men and women, um, and if it at least serves. of women in terms of consumers as well Uh, and so even last year you know we had a a male female kind of team who won who was doing um, natural language processing and it was an amazing company so Mm. I I think uh, you know by encouraging more men uh, and more diverse people to kind of 
view you know, female empowerment and women's issues, uh, women's challenges as their own, um, yeah. you know, we can really build that involvement and that engagement. Mm, exciting. Okay. So obviously you have a lot of experience with creating companies and building platforms, hence our topic today, how to build impactful platforms. So how about you tell me, what do you think are some of the, the, the biggest flaws that you see with some of the communities being built now? Because it's so popular. Everyone's doing it, particularly everybody wants to reach out to women, which is very sexy these days. You know, it's a very sexy thing to empower women and all this other stuff. But what do you think are some of the, um, the hindrances that are, are stopping communities from actually being impactful? Um, so I'll, I'll give you an example. When I sure. moved back to China you know, six years ago uh, and I looked at women's communities, there was only two. There was like IPWS, which at the time was EPWS, which is this expatriate women's society. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, which was, you know, for slightly older, more professional women who were working in Shanghai. Um, <clears throat> and then there was um, Lean in China, uh, which was completely local. Now it's definitely opened up and has become a little bit more international, but at the time it was completely local. Uh, and and now, if you look at the number of women's organizations there, there's Lady Extraordinary Women, which I run. Mm-hmm. Um, there's Will, which is women in women in leadership lead. Um, there's GGI, which is Girls uh, Gone International. There's um, SSW Shanghai like Shanghai Women's Network you know like there's I we do this round women's empowerment roundtable um and you know once a year where we bring all the leaders of these different organizations together and it just keeps growing right the the, the first year was like four people then it was six seven and you know last time we did like 15 um and and I think a couple different things I think it has a lot to do with with egos mm-hmm. um like we all we all want to help um but don't reinvent the wheel right mm-hmm. uh, and everyone and everyone you know will tell you oh my my network is slightly different because my network is focused on mentorship or my network is is about younger professional women or my network is about um you know bringing you know, expat women and Chinese women together, you know, there's, but those are all semantic differences, right? Right. At the end of the day, the kinds of events that you're running, um, the kinds of programs that you're doing are exactly the same. Uh, And, and, Mm. you know, in, in words you may, you know, in your promotional materials or, you know, in the way that you're communicating with your members and they promote slightly different, you know, when I go to all these events, when I lived in Shanghai, I literally went to every single one of these events. Yeah. Um, at the end of the day, they were all the same. Oftentimes, they got very similar speakers. Mm-hmm. Um, same people being and, sort of recycled in, in the different networks. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Exactly. And so, you know, and the, I mean, obviously there are some exceptions. And, and that's not to say that... The, you know, the leaders of these organizations are not putting in tons of effort and trying very hard to make sure that, that they are coming with original, interesting content. Mm-hmm. Um, I certainly don't want to say that. But, you know, often, sometimes it might be better just to reach out to an existing network and say, hey, this is what I want to do. Mm-hmm. Um, can I help build this inside something that already exists? Right. right? And um, not necessarily or, feeling you need to create your own thing. Yeah, it's just, mm. I, you know, when I look at my, my WeChat, I'm in maybe 30 female empowerment groups on WeChat. Wow. <laughs> and they're all, they're all slightly, there's like China digital women, China women in tech, China, <laughs> you know, there's yeah. Shanghai groups, Beijing groups, Hong Kong groups. Yeah. yeah and I'm in so many of them. Yeah. Um, and I, and I, and I always, I just want to encourage, you know, now that all these groups have been set up, we can't, you know, we can't back paddle uh, and, and say, oh, now we're going to close them down. But I just want to encourage people to come together and do more events together, 
right? Mm. And in a more authentic, and I'm I'm as guilty of this as any other, but mm-hmm. I just say, okay, I'm going to collaborate with this other women's organization. And what I do is I just slap their logo on my poster and that's it, right? And they'll send my poster around or my, my blurb or whatever it is. Mm-hmm. But, you know, genuinely sitting down and saying, here are my goals for the year. Here are your goals. You know, where can we come up with events? You know, brainstorm speakers together, um, you know, do other kinds of activities together. Sure. Um, and, and you're spending that time in, in truly coming up with collaborative initiatives rather yeah. than just, you know, and, and so many of these groups, you know, and ours included, uh, do a lot of ad hoc events. So it's hard to do that kind of planning. Mm-hmm. Um, but there is definitely something to be, to be gained there. Mm, okay so then how do we do it then how do we build impactful communities from the ground up successful ones whether they be gender neutral or or not yeah um i think that it's it's kind of two parts um the first really has to do with diversity uh and the second or sorry, the first has to do with uh, less is more in the second to do with um, with diversity. You know, when we first started, all the other networks I've I've built or worked with, it was always you know the bigger the better. Um, the, the number that I'm always proudest of when when I say uh, when I talk about League of Extraordinary Women, which is this women's networking organization I founded in China. Uh, I, you know, I say we were three thousand members. Um, you know, we held over a hundred events in two years. Wow. Uh, you know, all of those really impressive numbers. But then when I think back to, you know, if I actually, you know, texted in the group and said, I need help with this, how many women would actually, you know, raise their hands? Um, versus now, when I look at the way that we built Phoenix Risen, Phoenix Risen, we have one type of event. We run that event with different kinds of people. Mm-hmm. You know, we made, we, we, we did the empathy workshop and that was it. And we focused on that and we did it with, you know, Nestle executives and we did it with, you know, young college graduates from Hunan and we did it with, you know, tech VC people from, you know, San Francisco and then girls, you know, from a slum in Kenya. Right. It's Mm -hmm. just, uh, and really focusing on how do we deepen the impact of one format of what we're doing and just replicating it as far and as wide as we can. But it wasn't until we were, you know, 100% sure uh, that the format worked, that uh, it worked with different types of people, that we had a program to, to train facilitators, that we started looking at scaling. Um, and I, and I think one of the issues is that we don't think about our impact within our communities almost like, like product, right? I, I, because I come from, you know, a tech product marketing background, you really do want to put out, you know, your quote unquote, your MVP um, and, and make sure that it works and you're constantly optimizing it and constantly user testing it. And then you think about scale, right? Right. Um, and, and it's better. And, you know, there are amazing organizations out there who focus on doing one thing really well first and then think about growing. So another really good example of that is We Do, um, which is based in, in Bangkok, kind of south, it's south, more Southeast Asia regional. And I worked with them as a mentor and then in terms of content as well. Um, and they developed 36 hours of curriculum to give to their mentors and their mentees to work on together. And, and some people thought, you know, this is really rigid, but really gave um, a structure and a direction for, peop- for, the, for these mentor and mentee relationships, which really helped it flourish, right? And they mm. constantly got feedback from, um, from, their, from their participants on what kind of content was working, what wasn't, you know, uh, how could they improve you know, all of these interactions together. Um, and, and because so many of these women's organizations are so focused on, you know, let's do a one-off event here and, and let's do a trip over here and that kind of thing. I think it's really difficult and to know what's working, what's not working. Um, mm-hmm. Is that we just wanna, wanna say we're doing stuff yeah. rather than focusing on, on measuring and replicating results from what we're doing. 
Yeah. Do you ever find it slightly draining? Because I know I do. For example, when I lived, before I moved to China, when I lived in London, London is, is similar to Shanghai. There's 20 events every night, you know, and you, you go onto your Facebook or in your email or wherever it, wherever it is on your Instagram or whatnot, and you see all these events. And it just seems like there's so much going on to a point where you almost get put off. Do you ever feel that way sometimes? I mean, honestly, yeah. like I did for a long time when I lived in London, because like you, I would go to all the events. And then after a while, you just kind of think, well, but are we really doing anything? Or is it just a bunch of us women getting together? And then I almost feel like a hypocrite saying that because here we are calling for <laughs> gender equality and all this other stuff. But then when we're actually doing something about it, I'm, I'm moaning. And I guess it's because I feel like there isn't enough depth to everything that's that's happening do you ever feel that way or have you ever felt that I, way? yeah yeah I, I certainly I most definitely feel that way I think most people that you probably talk to who live in big cities probably mm-hmm. feel that way yeah uh, I think but you know I, I kind of took a different view on it mm-hmm. um on on so I stopped I think I stopped kind of I got to a point where I almost hit, you know, critical mass when I was in Shanghai, where mm. I would go to one of these events and I mostly knew, I would say, at least 50% of the room. Yeah. Uh, and, and people, <laughs> if I didn't know them, they knew me. Yeah, yeah. Um, and so, and then you just end up in these really frivolous conversations of mm-hmm. what do you do? Where are you from? Um, what do you like? You know, all of the the same questions all over again. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, there was there was one day I was I was being flippant, and I literally just carried a sign around that said, "Hi, I'm Stephanie. This is where I work. This is what I do. <laughs> um, ask me a different question." Right? Yeah, yeah. Uh, and and I and I think and and this is you know one of the things I started doing is I would give feedback to organizers. You know, because I knew most of the organizers is is give people. This is one of the things I actually took from IDEO because mm-hmm. um, they're an amazing branding in it, um, design thinking agency. And they do some of these meetups and they have IDEO.org and Open IDEO and, and a couple of other community initiatives as well. And they would give people badges uh, that were color coordinated with like different kind of interests. Um, okay. Or they would, you know, they, the name would, it would say, hi, my name is Stephanie, you know, ask me about my favorite aspect of design or hi, my name is um, Joanne. Um, mm-hmm. Ask me about the best book I read recently, mm. you know, and, and then it would be, it would just go for much more interesting conversations. Cause I don't, I don't really care about what you do. Right. Exactly. Um, you're often then people are, people are so detached from their day jobs. And you know, the moment you ask them that question, you know, they just start droning on. Yeah. Um, so I think that was an aspect that I, I sought to improve. I think the other thing I started doing is going for depth rather than, than breadth in terms of networking. And I would, I would go to these events and I would try to meet, you know, two or three people that I spent a good, you know, 20, 30 minutes with, mm. um, and got to know them as people and, and tried to figure out, you know, how I could help them, who I could connect them with, you right. know, what they were seeking. Um, and I just felt a lot more fulfilled. Yeah. <laughs> I felt, it felt less like I was, uh, like I was making a, it felt more like I was making a friend than mm. sampling a dish of hors d'oeuvres. Right. Yeah. Yeah. No, <laughs> yeah, I, as if it's, you're like, well, uh, you know, it's, you're just constantly teching at different things. You're joining different groups and you don't remember anyone's names. You have a bunch of business cards that you throw away. Right. Versus you know, if you talk to one person you just, you get so much more um, and you feel so much enlivened because you made a friend. Definitely. definitely. You know, it seems so simple. And sometimes it feels like you're seeing, like you said, the same faces being recycled uh, throughout the same events and throughout the same communities. And I sometimes wonder, so, okay, all, a lot of these women have made it and you've been successful, but what about the, the other women? You know, I want to hear about the other women. What are the other women doing? So I think it's also um, very important to not just kind of 
almost create your own little clique. <laughs> you know, you have to yeah. broaden you have to broaden that out and make sure that you're constantly trying to create environments for all women to thrive in and for different kinds of women to thrive in as well. Because something that I noticed in London is that there were a lot of little cliques, you know, you had sort of this group and they stuck together and they supported each other and they didn't get along with that group. And it was just, it was very bizarre. And you, I'd I'd often think "Mm, women's empowerment, Hmm, you know? (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) It's definitely, it, yeah. And I think the Me Too movement, amongst many others, have been accused of, you know, being really white first wave feminism. Yeah, yeah. Um, I think a lot of the work that that we do within Phoenix Risen and within the other initiatives have also really been focused on kind of our second point is is the diversity, Mm -hmm. right? How do you bring people together that you typically wouldn't think about bringing together and what kind of results can that create? So I'll give you a really fascinating example. Okay. So we work with the Kabir Girls Soccer Academy, which is um, an organization in, in you know, Af- one of Africa's largest slums. Um, and obviously these girls come from very low socioeconomic background. Um, they've gone to, you know, higher secondary, but most of them have not gone to uh, tertiary education. Most of them don't have jobs. If they do, it's very informal um, employment. Oppositely, we also work with Hishima Kenya, which is a um, which is a women's shelter for girls who have been trafficked um, or have fled their home countries. Um, you know, it's, it's for women, female refugees, uh, and they bring them in. And they're they're you know, it depends on how old they are, but you know, late teens to early twenties. Some of them have children. Um, you know, they're from South Sudan, Somalia, Eritrea, Ethiopia, all these different places around, you know, East Africa. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of them have, you know, walked to Kenya, hitchhiked, you know, had these terrible experiences, you know, not only in the refugee imagine. camps and the place they were in before, but also, you know, in their journey to getting to where they are today. Yeah. yeah. Um, and, and it was... And it was fascinating to bring these two groups of women together who in, you know, in very different ways have been disenfranchised, right? One kind of lower, so like, you know, Kabira, the slums, the other from, you know, not having citizenship or personhood. Um, and, and it's fascinating because a lot of these girls from Kabira don't have no idea, you know, how many refugees Kenya as a country actually ends up taking in. Mm. Um, and, and how diverse, uh, Kenya is as a country, you know, Kenya is very diverse regardless because, you know, there's all these tribes and there's a lot of, you know, at the level at which I exist, which is very much within the, the expat and the educated Kenyan society. Um, yeah, yeah. It's, it's very diverse, right? There's other East African and other kind of African expats, Nigerians, Rwandans, South Africans, there's you know, Western expats, there's Chinese, there's all there's these Indians as well. Mean, yeah, mm. <laughs> very influential Indians, the ones who've been here for a long time, the ones who've been here less. But then, you know, it's let, at, at, you know, at the level that I think the, the girls from Kabir exist in, they meet people from their own tribes, they rest within that community. And so for them to meet girls from, South Sudan and these other countries just opens their eyes so wide. Um, and then oppositely, you know, the, the girls from Hishima, Kenya, um, you know, don't really know that many Kenyan women, you know, cause they, they just don't associate as much cause they're kind of within their own community. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was just really empowering to bring these two groups together and to, and, and and it's it's a very unexpected or like you know something that you wouldn't think normally to do right yeah. uh, and i think those kinds of connections or those kinds of uh, moments are the ones that are the most uh useful and Absolutely. and create the you know these unexpected kind of connections yeah, uh, yeah. brings a level of authenticity where you where you like caught off guard right you know, versus yeah. you know a lot of the events that i feel like i go to I I have this script in my head mm-hmm. um and so it's it's inauthentic because I know exactly what I'm going to say I know what angle I'm going to play and you know mm-hmm. um 
and and I think it's in like in the same way. Um, that's why I think it's so important. You know, one of the things that Phoenix Rising always does is all their events, all our events are 50-50 men and women. Um, and it's very much about, you know, how do we bring men into the fold and coming up with solutions about sexual harassment, sexual violation, right? Women can can say, you know, men are the problem. This is, you know, the issue. Yeah. But, you know, if they're part of the problem, then why not give them a chance to be part of the solution? Definitely. Right. Versus percent of locking the them out. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And yeah. You know, funny because, um, you know, Obama has this quote that's like, if you had a sports team, why would you bench half of your players? Um, yeah. yeah. You know, talking about women. But then obviously that's true too. If you're trying to come up with, you know, a, a society level, you know, solution for a problem and you're going to, you know, take out 50% of the, best minds to help come up with that solution um how does it make any sense right Mm -hmm. yeah yeah Mm. when you were putting when I I know you're the executive director of Phoenix Risen but I want to know when you guys were planning out your events and and so on and so forth did you actually sit down and outline okay these are our goals this is what we hope to achieve and this is how we plan to do it is that something that you guys did and was that extremely helpful yeah would you recommend others so I mean so I think in the beginning, so like I said, because I come from a marketing background, so, you know, brand, vision, mission, uh, and plan is so important to me. Uh, but I, you know, there's, a, there's uh, you know, I'm executive director, we have a founder. Um, and actually what Phoenix Prison started out with is very different from what it is today. Uh, when Phoenix Prison first started, it was very much a platform. It's it's very similar to grace-based stories for mm. women to share stories about uh, sexual harassment, sexual violation. Um, and then because we tried to do it in China and China is very, very conservative and some things like that, it didn't work out very well. Yeah. And so at that point we had to sit down and say, and then, and then we tried a bunch of other things. Like we tried to do that version, but offline. So bring women together in, in communities, uh, and and sharing those stories offline, but then we didn't feel like that made enough, you know, scalable impact. Mm-hmm. And so we 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 sat down and we had a number of hypotheses. We had a number of different you know things we wanted to achieve, uh, and then we went and tried a bunch of different formats for things to see if it worked. And we were right. very regimented about testing and experimenting. Right. Um. And so I think, you know, those are are big reasons around what's made us successful is how systematic we have about, you know, building um, our purpose. And then, yeah, and I definitely, you know, I think a lot of people, they do, I think a lot of groups do sit down and and do yearly planning at the very least and say, you know, we want to do this many kind of events, um, but really drilling down and asking yourself is anybody else doing this mm-hmm. what value are we trying to create like when when these women leave the events mm-hmm. this is what i want to think of this is what i want them to say that they learned or gained or felt empowered by at this specific event mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and yeah. and by giving your your you know your community that kind of structure um i think and being as specific as possible about it Right. Okay. Rather than just saying like, I want women to be more professionally empowered, you know, saying I want women to feel more comfortable with asking their boss for a raise. Right. Mm. So go go for depth, not breadth. Yeah. Yeah. And do you think a lot of communities focus too much on quantity? Okay, we've had, like you said at the beginning, five hundred <laughs> events with 20,000 women da, 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 versus, okay, we have small events. We tend to attract 20 to 30 women, but this is exactly what we're doing and this is how we're doing it. I mean, do you think there's, do you think it's better to have the former or, or the latter? Or do you think you need both to, in order to have success, build successful, impactful communities? I definitely think you need, you need both. Um, yeah. I think you need the bigger events, you know, yearly galas kind of a yearly summit or something like that mm-hmm. that really uh shows women that they're part of a bigger community you know how they connect to this community that kind of thing i think is very important but then i think if you're trying to make um 
impact and and help connect different kinds of women together the Mm -hmm. smaller events are going to be more impactful right Um, and and now with phoenix Wilson, we've also started doing a number of different kinds of events um where we get you know committees of people to organize them together uh and and it's and i'm i'm so blown away by how involved people get you know, I used to be of the of the camp that said, you know, you should have one lead organizer and maybe two to three other people at most. You mm-hmm. know, recently we've been organizing events with, you know, committees of, you know, eight, nine, ten people. Um, you know, they basically account for half of the event itself. Yeah. Uh, but but people have so much to contribute and they really do want to add. And when you when you make them organizers when you hold these committee meetings um, they feel so much more involved and then are so much more inclined to take an active role in the event or to help promote the event Um, and that's that's been a really good change for us as well yeah and in the end though how do you measure impact so you're building a community it's you think it's successful but you want to build an impactful community how does one measure impact what do they look for what are what are the measurements so we're really structured in this because mm-hmm. a lot of what we do, a lot of the workshops that we do now is for companies. Right. Um, so we actually do baseline surveys when going in uh, and exit surveys when coming out. Um, and we, we basically block out, you know, a percentage or, you know, 15 minutes, 10 minutes at the end of uh, the workshop to get people to give us, you know, direct feedback to fill out surveys, that kind of thing. Uh, so we can we can actually measure, you know, how has your your understanding of sexual harassment changed? How has your uh, how has your response and what you're likely to do? How have those things changed? Um, and so that's for us really important in measuring. Um, and then in terms of you know the communities that we that we run, um, we we look at know how many events and workshops are being self-organized um, and our empathy workshop is meant to be re- replicated we have kind of a toolkit online where anyone can go on they can download all the materials um, and they can host their own workshop with a full script uh, and then you know one of the metrics we measure those you know the people who are uh, who are hosting their own workshops is how many people then want to go and host their own workshop from that so there's an issue uh, there's a there's an element of encouraging uh you know this viral factor mm-hmm. um and so you know our goal is basically to to reach um you know 10 percent, 15 percent um you know one in ten people who walk out of that workshop will say i'm gonna go do this myself you know um so that's another way that we measure. Uh, I think also just measuring how active uh, our our like WeChat community is. You know, how many of our our volunteers out of you know 120 people have actually volunteered to organize an event, volunteered mm-hmm. to come together to do something. You know, that yeah. kind of thing. Um, yeah. And considering that I'm not in Shanghai anymore, it's mm. so important that we have these groups of volunteers that do this. Um, and so I think it's it's definitely more important than ever that um, we are are working through this. Yeah, because a lot of the times you get people are very enthusiastic and and they sign up and and they want to be committed and they have good intentions, but then life gets in the way, and then all of a sudden you realize you've only got two or three people, key people doing the volunteering all the time. So I think that's also a challenge as well. Yeah. Um... But I, I think that you have to give people structure, right? You can't just say, hey, this is what we need. You have to say, I'm looking for someone to help with the venue, one person to help with logistics, one person to help with promoting, one person. You know, you, you have to give them roles and then yeah. they identify as what they, they see. And then, you know, oftentimes people can be reluctant as well which is why you as an organizer need to know your volunteers and yeah. be able to call out on their special or their unique capabilities if possible yeah yeah definitely so okay i've got a, a question for you do you 
think there's a difference between um, the female-oriented activities happening in the West versus those happening in the East, in places like in Asia, in Africa, etc. Or do you think they're kind of all the same? Um, to be honest, I've lived outside of the U.S. since mm. more or less 2011. <laughs> Yeah, so you're so, kind of detached from there, that world now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, but I, but I obviously I see all my friends, you know, going down to the women's march and mm-hmm, mm-hmm. all those kinds of things. Because um, the issues are different: global north, global south, east, west. However, you want to divide the world. Yeah, whatever. yeah, yeah. So I'm just curious as to whether you think generally. Uh, things things are different they're going in a different direction I think so yeah I uh I think I think there's something to be I think this comes down to intrinsic culture and underlying culture Mm. so if you if you look at you know the east like you know China Southeast Asia Japan South Korea all those places Mm -hmm. um you know the underlying culture of those places is this collectivism. Yes, right? it's absolutely. It's about putting, uh, you know, community and family and everything above self. Yes, uh, yes. Obviously, if you look at the West, um, it is about, uh, it's about individualism and, yes. and a happiness over contentment and striving and more capitalistic ideals. Yes. Uh, and I'm still I'm still formulating what it is in, in Africa and, and some people have told me it's, it's Ubuntu, it's this idea of everyone is human and, and above all your your quest is to be a good human. Mm. So so I I think these underlying cult like ethnocultural beliefs mm-hmm. um certainly inform the type of events that are happening. I agree. Um, I agree. They and, inform, and they inform the conversations that are happening as well. They definitely. Inform yeah, certainly. Yeah. Um, and I don't, I don't necessarily think it's a direct or a one for one correlation, right? It's not like, you know, the East only has community events and the West only has individual events and things about mentorship. But, yeah. but, you know, I, I probably have a theory, you know, somewhere around there that, in the end, you know, maybe the, the West is a little bit more focused on how do we build, how do we do capacity building for individual women? So, you know, as the boats rise, as the tide rises, all the boats rise together, mm-hmm. you know, um, and in the West, or sorry, in the East, maybe it's a little bit more about how do we bring the women together and, and create one fortified movement or tide um, and then, and then in Africa, obviously, feminism is, is very nascent. You know, recently I've been reading so much Chimamanda. Um, but it's yeah, about yeah. creating intrinsic self-worth in women. Yeah. Um, and, and building up from there. So yeah, yeah. I, I definitely think there are, are differences. I, I'm not sure I've necessarily cracked what those differences are. Mm, interesting so what is next for you do you think you're going to stay in the tech community tech space community building space do you think you're always going to be doing this but just evolving as you move along or do you see yourself just doing something completely different and moving someplace else or coming back to china um eventually eventually i'll i'll come back to china china is definitely home for me yeah i'll probably be in africa two to three years you know maybe yeah. five years, who knows? Um, yeah. In terms of tech, I'm, as I mentioned, China Africa Tech Initiative, I'm really passionate about you know, bringing China Africa tech ecosystems together. So definitely still going to be focused on that. Um, and, and female empowerment, you know, gender equality, that has certainly progressed in ways that I, I didn't realize. You know, I started out with uh, just volunteering and then I moved into building my own networking community then I built then I did mentorship for you know women's leadership groups then I did uh, built a, a platform to teach sex education to college women you know and yeah. now I'm very much on on the level of gender equality and bringing men and women together you know focusing on on sexual harassment and sexual violations so I, I think you know you you never know but there is certainly a, a trajectory Mm-hmm. Um, and I and I think it is important 
to continue to build upon what you've done um, and and uh, and what you've created in order to to create better uh, and to be very candid with yourself about what's been successful, what hasn't, mm. um, and then leveraging that to to go further in the future. Perfect. I was just going to ask you, uh, what parting words do you have for our listeners and readers who are all early stage female entrepreneurs coming out of uh, developing economies? So, and that that's that's perfect. Do you want to add anything else, or do you think? That's yeah. It? Um. So, so this is like very Chinese of me, mm. but above all, and I, I honestly, I believe that this is something that oftentimes we we forgive ourselves too much for. Mm-hmm. is the one thing that will go, the one trait that will go further than any other thing is discipline. Ah, um, <laughs> you said that's Chinese of you, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> yeah there, there's, there's literally, you know, it's, I cannot be appreciative enough to my parents when mm-hmm. I was, when I was younger for teaching me this, right? Mm-hmm. There was, there was no excuses. It was very much like, if there's a will, there's a way. If you want to do something, you will do it. If you don't want to do it, nothing will happen. Right. Mm-hmm. And, and it's just, it's helped me so much. You know, when I got to college, I literally didn't understand the concept of procrastination. Mm-hmm. Right? All of my friends were like, Oh, I'll do it tomorrow. And I'm like, but you have time today. Why wouldn't you do it today? Yeah. Yeah. Um, so I just, I cannot emphasize that enough uh, that, you know, get, getting out of bed at the first alarm clock ring making right. sure that you go to the gym like if you're not going to do something then don't say you're going to do it having your so it's fine routine. that you don't do it yeah. Yeah. All, yeah all of those things building the schedule and the discipline and the and and that and the accountability mm. is what makes people successful right yeah. um yeah. and and success is not fireworks it's not this great it is these small efforts day in, day out that mm. eventually um, accumulate to something big, right? And, and I, think, I think it's, you know, when, when we have such a sensationalist media, when we have all these stories floating around, oftentimes young people forget that. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And you've got to define success on your own terms as well. But I think what you're saying is so important. Whatever it means to you, you've got to go out there and make it happen. And that comes with discipline and accountability and all of all of that stuff that we already know, but we always need someone to continuously for you, it was your parents, for someone else, it might be their friends or their you know, whatever, husband, wife, whatever it may be, you you need to definitely surround yourself with people who are going to hold you accountable as well. Yeah. Yeah. Perfect. Definitely. So where can we find you? I know you've got a great website, stephaniezoo.com. Uh, where mm-hmm. else can, can, can listeners find you if they want to reach out to you or they're interested in getting involved with one of your platforms or, or collaborating uh, or anything yeah. like that? So uh, you can reach out on my website, uh, stephaniezoo.com. You can find me on LinkedIn, also stephaniezoo, Z-O-O, my last name. Okay. Um, and then uh, if you're interested in Phoenix Risen, our website is just Phoenix Risen, not Phoenix Rising, Phoenix Risen dot org. Phoenix Risen dot org. Perfect. Well, it has been a real pleasure talking to you, Stephanie. Thank you for giving us some of your time. And we wish you all the success with everything that you're doing. And hopefully you can come back on and talk to us again when you've moved on to something else. Because something tells me you're just going to keep going and things are just going to keep getting more interesting. And I'd love to, um, to have you back on. Okay. Perfect. Okay. Thank you so, so much. It was a pleasure. Okay, lovely birds. So that's it for today. And I hope you all learned something from Stephanie. I know I did. And I hope you feel a little bit more inspired. And we'll catch up with you next time. Bye for now.